We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You have another super chat here from uh, from Ryan or from Tyler Evans. Great name though, Ryan is. Uh, is there a blue blood program <laughs> that will never give back to power the power it was? That's an interesting question. Ryan is like the to of Irish Breakdown. I love me some me. <laughs> I didn't say that. Man. I didn't say that. <laughs> you just had Ryan on the brain. Is there a blue blood program that will never give back to the power it was? It's a really interesting question. Yeah, I, I, there, go ahead, Ryan, because there's a lot I, of discussion was, in the board about Nebraska. Though that's the one that I was going to go to, honestly. I didn't I even have see that asterisk. discussion happen. Yeah, I would have an you asterisk, have an asterisk by, by Nebraska. By Nebraska, okay. they will never get back to being power a power like they were as long as they stay in the Big Ten. If they go back to the Big Twelve, I think they could because I think it changed. It completely changed. Being in the Big Ten completely changed their recruiting dynamic. Kids in Texas, okay. if kids are from Texas want to go play in the Big Ten, they're going to go to Ohio State or Michigan if they're that kind of guy. And and I think it really it really hurt their recruiting dynamic, in my opinion. It it, it yeah. really did. And uh, you know, look, Nebraska's never been a very big state. It's never been a very populated state. It still has a lot of the kids that they've had. But look, here's the deal: a lot of the kids from Nebraska are leaving the state. They're not staying in Nebraska. That used to never happen. Xavier Watts, thirty years ago, doesn't might not come to Notre Dame. He probably stays in Nebraska. You know, no, Teddy Rezac gets offered by Notre Dame 30 years ago, and he's ready to commit to Notre Dame. And then Nebraska offers. It's like, sorry, Notre Dame, I'm going to Nebraska now. You know, I mean, that's just kind of yeah. how it was. They haven't done a good job of keeping their in-state talent home. And then there's not a lot of it, but that's what – it's like Indiana. Notre Dame doesn't get a lot of in-state, you know, big-time talent in Indiana. But when they get them, you got to get those guys. Yes. And there's a lot of states around Nebraska that I think, you know, you can you can recruit from that, that, that have some talent, right? And – and that they would recruit from. But here's the other thing too, is like, you know, you know where a lot of Nebraska's players came from was other, I mean, far away. I mean, wh- where was Tommy Frazier from? Wasn't he from Florida? I mean, he was a Florida guy. Oh, Nebraska used to make a killing going down to Florida and getting guys. I think the only demographic change that's hurt Nebraska is this, is the change in the Juco level. Cause like now Juco's for like that guy that didn't qualify or the guy that got kicked off of a team. We think of like last chance you didn't used to yeah. be like that. JUCOs yeah. used to be really good football because you'd have all these kids that just got overlooked by programs that went to JUCO to just, they didn't get the scholarship offers they wanted or they didn't get any offers and they would go. And some of them were guys that had grades and all that, but it wasn't exclusively that. Nebraska would make a killing at the JUCO level as well, get some of those guys. Some of them were troublemakers and some of them were not. And that's the other thing too is, is Tom Osborne brought a lot of, um, let's say, questionable characters into his program, but he was able to keep them in line for the most part uh, enough yep. obviously Lawrence Phillips had his issues but he was able to keep them in line enough to where you know they could go out and and play as a team and dominate but I mean they would go to Texas and get guys they'd go out to California and get guys they'd go to Florida and get guys because they were a national brand if they if they were in a different league in my opinion if they went back to the big 12 and had the right coach and I think Matt Rule can be that guy I do think they can be a national power again I do because the thing is there's money in that program there's there's a lot of people willing to spend money in the Nebraska program that if they need to go get some guys, they'll go get some guys. Believe me, they have landed. The boosters in Nebraska have landed plenty of big time players over the years, my friend, believe me, you know what I mean? So um, 
I think they could. I just don't think they can in the Big Ten. That, that's my only problem. I, I think that's does, one for me, Ryan. Does Navy count as a blue blood? Because if they do, then that's no. I mean, <laughs> I don't think they're blue bloods. I mean, they had their their stretches back in the, in the forties, but like, yeah, to me, it's like you know, teams that maybe in the last thirty forty years have been. And and to me, like I don't consider like Colorado a blue blood. They had a stretch there for a few years, but they weren't. They're not a traditional power, right. in my opinion. There aren't a lot that I don't think can get back to being good. It's just they're not going to get back to being good in their current situations. UCLA is one. Going to the Big Ten killed UCLA's ability to get back to being a big-time program, in my opinion. Miami's inability to have the structure and support behind them. Right. (laughs) But hire the right president who hires the right AD, and that's fixed in two years. Sure. That's the thing is like, so it's, it's, they won't ever it's like Notre Dame there's been years stretches where Notre Dame was not had no chance of getting back to being a blue blood because of the leadership at the school but it wasn't that they were incapable of it as an institution and, and so I think that there's just to me I'm, I'm trying to like Pitt Pitt's one that's going to have a hard time ever being a being there because I do think Pitt was a blue blood they had about a 20-year period where they had some dominant teams I mean you obviously won a title with and, uh yeah. 70s and 80s because you had like Tony yeah. Dorsett in the seventies. And then you had those eighties teams that were really good. So, I mean, I, I think you could maybe call them a blue blood. Some people would argue that they're not a blue blood, uh, but uh, they're a team that to me will never, will never get back to being the the program that they were in the seventies or eighties for a million reasons. There's not the support anymore. The state just doesn't produce the amount of talent that it used to. Um, you know, it just, I mean, Pitt's got nine claimed national titles and eight unclaimed national titles, you know? So um, they they have a history of college of success in football and and they claimed one in 76 They have unclaimed in 1881 unclaimed basically means that some, one of the outlets gave them a national title, but it wasn't one of the recognized outlets that, that count as the claimed ones. Sure. But, um, I mean, you, you have some legendary players coming out of Pitt in that 20-year stretch. I mean, Dorsett, Bill Fralick, Hugh, Hugh Green, Dan Marino. I mean, J- uh, Jimbo uh, was the guy that – Jimbo Covert was from Pitt too, right? Covert, I mean, was, yeah. So you had some big-time players. Um, Ricardo McDonald's – or Devin – Ricardo McDonald, who was the brother of Devin McDonald, played another name. Uh, that's a team that I thought. You know, but I don't see Pitt – don't have their own stadium. It's a hard place to recruit to now, to that level. You don't have the institutional support, and I just don't think the talent base is good enough for them to you – because know, they're not a national program like Penn State is, in my opinion. Yeah. Or Penn State can be, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, that that would be another one, Ryan, that I look at. I'm trying to think of some others, but um, – I, I still I still hate how some of these teams are in these conferences now, which don't make any sense. Like none. Nebraska in the Big Ten and Maryland in the Big Ten. I'm like, what, yeah. why is Maryland in the Big Ten? But right, sure, exactly. Sure. <laughs> oh, it's because of money. Right. I mean, yes. that's really what it boils down to. Sure. I know, I know why, but like yeah. geographically, it just fit. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. But yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if I would count this team as a blue blood, Ryan, because I don't know if they ever were quite good enough to be considered a blue, a blue blood. And and they only have one national title, but like I don't see Syracuse being the team that they were during periods of, of their career as well, you know, where they were a pretty good team, but I wouldn't call them a uh no. I wouldn't call them a blue blood, but I, I think they're a team that's going to have a tough time being kind of what they were, you know, in the '50s, '60s, and '70s. You know, where yeah. they had some some pretty some pretty good Jim, Jim Brown, Floyd Little, yeah. Ernie Davis, all those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yep. They had one of the best names ever for a coach. They had a coach that was there from 1949 to 1973, and I'm not pulling this off the top of my head. I'm reading this. Because I, I remember the name, but oh, I, I know this, right? Isn't it Ben uh, Schwartzwalder? Schwartzwalder. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But um, I would, yeah. I always, I always want to call him Buckshow Walter because yeah. yeah, for obvious yeah. reasons. So yeah. Uh, looking through it, Ryan. I mean, I, you know, who, who else would you consider a blue blood? That uh, like, you know, I mean, Virginia's not a blue blood. Virginia Tech yeah. wasn't a blue blood. Uh, Texas can get back there. Oklahoma can get back there. I mean, West Virginia's not a blue blood. They just had a couple teams here and there. Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State can get there. Yep. Michigan State could get there with the right coach and the right situation. Not that I'd call them a blue blood, but they used to be a pretty good program. Uh, they yeah, can get back program. there. Iowa, Iowa, Iowa is still what they've always been. I mean, yeah, I don't think what they are now is what they were. 
under Hayden Fry for 40 years. You know, it's a, a good team that, you know, is not really a, a team that's going to, I mean, they got one title in their career. It's like 1958. So like they're more Syracuse in that regard, but they were a really good football team for a long period of time. And I feel like that's exactly what they are now. Yeah. And, and I think that if you hire the right coach, now here's the thing, a place like that, Ryan, it's a place where you need to have the right coach in place. Yes. Some schools can win no matter who you are. I mean, you're going to have some level of success basically no matter who you are. You don't need – as long as the guy's not a bum, you're going to be a good football team. Nate, USC made a lot of bowl games with very mediocre to bad head coaches and still had the talent to go to bowl games consistently, right? You just need the really good yeah. coach to win titles. A place like Iowa needs a, a really good coach just to go eight wins every year consistently. Yes. You know, so yeah, I was going to say, say if, if they – if they follow up Kirk Ferentz with like not a great coach, that team could go into right. dumpster pretty quick. I yeah. mean, honestly, agree. So agree, yeah. agree. But they'd be able to come out of it if they then five six years after that fact bring in a, a good head coach. Yeah. Kansas State's a perfect example, right? Bill Snyder's there; they're they're good. He leaves. Really good, Ron yeah. Prince runs it into the ground. Bring Bill Snyder back. Guess what? They're good again. <laughs> you yes. know, and I think Chris Kleiman is is doing a good job there too. No, Miami and Florida State can get back there. I have no no doubt, especially Florida State. There's no doubt those programs can get back to that. No question. What, it, some people consider Washington a blue blood. They can get back to that. Look what look what yeah. they're going in the right. What the guy right did now. last year in one year. You yeah. know, I I think a team that really can ha, I'm concerned for and worried about is UCLA going to the Big Ten. That 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 can that would concern me if I'm a UCLA person. It would really concern yeah. me. Now their team right now might be built for that, but in a couple of years it's going to be it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I'll tell you my pick: North North Dakota State. I think it's over, man. I think the rain is you, over. You being sarcastic or are you being serious? Like not not fully, tell. honestly. Uh, mm-hmm. This past team was one of the worst teams they've had in a couple of years, and South Dakota State finally overtook them. So I feel like they could hit a little bit of a downtrot, but like downtrot yeah. is in they're not the absolute best program right. on the FCS level. It's more. Parody my question right. would be though is that we'll never get back to the power it was i think you can yeah. say that about north dakota state because if they win three titles in every six years that's not the way that they used to be yes if you're that's getting insane, technical then they win like six in a row at one point in time Some, or something insane like that like mount crazy, union will yeah. win titles again mount union will win more national championships they're never going to be what they were under larry karras ever yes yes you know and and uh you know so if you want to go to the lower levels that's um that's that's one you know where um, Mount Union Milton, never. Yeah, Nathan Milton's yeah. trying to throw shade on New Jersey, man. I've seen him say Rutgers in the chat like six times, man. Yeah, leave Rutgers alone. They they leave didn't Rutgers win alone. six. They didn't win six in a row, Ryan. I apologize. They won six out of seven years, and they won eight in eleven years. Still decent. This is nuts. <laughs> yeah, and in that six out of seven, they lost one game in seven years. They lost the they lost the Division Three national semifinal game in nineteen ninety nine. Let me let me find yeah. this one here real quick. That's that's insane. They I I'm trying to so 1999 Mount Union team. They uh let me find the playoff that year. See who see who beat them. Rowan beat them that year, Ryan. There you go. Ooh. That was the year that Rowan lost to Pacific Lutheran in the national championship. I actually remember that. Remember Pac Lutheran had that big old running back on that team. Do you remember that guy? He was a I transfer don't. from a bigger school, I think. I do not. But uh Rowan beat Mount Union by a touchdown that year. But in that seven-year stretch, props, man, props. yeah. Other than that, other than that semifinal loss to um, Rowan in seven mm-hmm. years, they lost no games. That's the only game they lost in seven years. Was that right there? That's nuts. That's absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. All right, let's get to let's get to some more questions. That was a good one, Tyler. I, I like those. Th- those are great questions for a day like today, Ryan. No doubt. I yes. love the, I love those on the open the uh, the Friday free for all. Let's get ready to say open line Friday again. I always mess that up. Open line, Friday free open for all. Line. Yeah, open line Friday. It's a show I used we're, to listen to we're, as a kid. We're, we're getting the line on, man. We're gonna let people call yeah. in. Let's yeah, it. and that's where it came from. It because there was yes. a show I listened to when I uh, for a long time. It was, they had a show, every Friday. It's called Open Line Friday. That's where the yeah. idea came from for the free for all mailback, but uh, I keep wanting to call it that. It's not that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right, Next question is from John A1 who said, if there were a 14 playoff in 2003, uh, John, you're making me do research now, man. Who would have came away with the title? LSU, Oklahoma, USC, or Michigan top four going into bowl season? So uh, I think, I'm trying to remember, that was the year that LSU beat Oklahoma for the title, correct? So but it's Matt also Flynn? a year it would, it Matt. would, I no it, uh, I always get these two confused. Matt Flynn was, wasn't he the well, quarterback later, on the 07 team? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, who, this I think was the Matt Mock team. Matt Mock, Matt Mock. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I could be wrong on that. No, I think, I think you're yeah, right. This on that. is the I Matt Mock right. team, I believe. And yep. then Matt Flynn was the quarterback, I think on a later, the, the later yes. team that won it. But that year, because so like the way it worked is is LSU was crowned the champ, right, by the coaches poll and the the BCS essentially. But the AP named USC number one. And if you remember that year, because I'll do the research for you, Ryan. If you remember that year, Oklahoma played LSU in the national title game. Oklahoma got beat 35 to 7 in the Big 12 title game by Kansas State and still was the number two seed in the college football playoff. And that was Jason White, Oklahoma, right? Correct. Correct. And USC that year went, uh, they also only had one loss, but they were, um, they lost a cow in September in three overtimes. And they didn't get in. They beat number six Auburn early in the year. They beat Washington State, but they didn't play like a lot of great teams that year. And I, I mean, I didn't think Oklahoma did either, but. I still don't. It was a joke that L, that Oklahoma got in that game. Absolute joke. And if there was a college football playoff, that 03, to me, that 03 USC team beats all of them. When that team finally hit their stride, they weren't just winning games. They they killed everyone they played. So after the Cal game, matter of fact, the Cal game was the only anomaly they had. The Cal game was the only game that wasn't decided by single digits. They beat Auburn on the road 23 to nothing, beat BYU 35 to 18. Uh, that was a uh, not a very good BYU team. Beat Hawaii sixty-one to thirty-two. Lost a cow on the road. Then went on the road to beat Arizona State thirty-seven to seventeen. Then they went and beat Stanford forty-four to twenty-one. They beat Notre Dame that year uh, forty-four to forty-five to fourteen. Yuck. They beat Washington that year forty-three to twenty-three. Uh, they. Uh, I'm trying. Hold on one second. They, I'm seeing what. Uh, Washington was a six and sixteen that year. Washington State that year went finished number nine in the country, and they beat that Washington State team forty three to sixteen. Beat Arizona forty five to nothing. Beat UCLA forty seven to twenty two, and beat Oregon State fifty two to twenty eight. That's what that team did that year. But a lot of the teams they played weren't that good, but they destroyed those teams. That was the first you know? year of Matt Leinart as the starter. No, right? that was that was, that was um, Carson Palmer. I. Uh, you know what? No, that was a Matt Liner team. You are correct. Carson Palmer that, that was, was the, the year team. after, right? You are correct. Yeah. You are correct. Because yeah. the Carson Palmer's last game was when they played Iowa in the uh in the uh, uh was it the Orange Bowl? They played Iowa. Yeah. I forget. With Drew, Drew, uh, Drew Tate led Iowa. I yeah. think, right. I believe. Yes. Yeah. And then they played Michigan that year in in the um in the final in the final four. So if you're looking at it to your point, John, the AP had USC ranked number one going into the playoff. And they had 
Michigan number or going into the postseason, they had Michigan number four. They had LSU number two, and they had Oklahoma number three. So that, you know, say that would have been in. LSU beats Oklahoma. USC beats a really good Michigan team, Ryan, by two touchdowns. That was yeah. a really good Michigan team that year. Now, they did have two losses that year, but they were a really What's good that? Michigan team. They were a really good What's... team, and they had just pounded. So they lost two games early to Oregon and Iowa, but after yeah. that, they beat number 17 Minnesota on the road. They beat Illinois. They beat number 10 Purdue 31 to 3. They went on the road and beat number nine Michigan State 27 20, beat Northwest on the road, and then at home beat number four Ohio State 35 21. And they also that year beat number 15 Notre Dame uh, 38 nothing. And we found out Notre Dame wasn't that good that year, but they, right. they did win that game. So USC to me goes and plays LSU in the playoff and in the, in the championship game, and they'd have, they'd have beat LSU that year. They would absolutely beat LSU that year. So, so that Michigan team was that a Chad Henney or was that a John Navarre team? Uh, that's a good question. I think that was a John Navarre team. Um, Probably. Chad Henney, I think, took over in in '04, I believe. Yeah, that was a John Navarre team. John Navarre, team. John Navarre team. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. look that up real quick, Ryan. Just give me a second. I want to yeah look that up for sure. But they had Braylon Edwards, Jason Levant. Um, let me just here look up Michigan's 2003 stats. Michigan football stats, um, but yeah, they uh, they had really good skill players. John Navarre, he's tall. He had six th- six th- th- for thirty. Th- yeah, Thuth for thirty three hundred yards, twenty four touchdowns, ten picks. Chris yeah. Perry that year rushed for sixteen hundred yards. Ryan, oh, Chris him? Perry Play- was a stud, man. He went the oh, first yeah. round. Yep. <laughs> uh, Braylon Edwards had eighty five catches for eleven hundred thirty eight yards, fourteen touchdowns. Jason Avant had seven hundred seventy two yards. Steve Breston, remember Steve Breston had four hundred forty four yards. Yeah, yeah, and they had Tim Massaqua on that team. Uh, Chris Perry that year had 367 receiving yards on that team. That's not bad. That's not bad. Defensively, they had guys like Marlon Jackson. You remember him, right? He was a really yes, good player. Sure Ernest okay. Chazor, uh, Jeremy Lesore, uh, Marcus Curry, Leon Hall. Uh, Steve Breston was a really dynamic punt returner on that team. So that was a good football team. It was a really good football team. But they don't beat USC. That year, uh, USC Ryan. team was no sick man. No sick team. They, they don't. They don't beat USC that year. That was a really, really good USC. That, that team. like 03 to 05 USC stretch yeah. was just like dumb, yeah. talented man. Because <laughs> like, remember that was Mike Williams' sophomore year. So yeah. you know he was dynamic. That was Reggie Bush's first year. You had Dominic Bird, Lindell um, White, right? And, probably. Oh yeah. Uh, what's that? Lindell White was probably on that team then, right? No, he he was not. He was not really a uh, a factor for them that year. Him, him and Reggie gotcha. really took off the next year. Uh, they're they're leading rushers that year. Oh, actually, no, you're right, Ryan. You're correct. Actually, Lindell had more yards that year than than Reggie. You're correct. And Herschel Dennis was their number two rusher. Reggie oh. had 521 rushing yards. Also had 314 receiving yards, and then obviously had um, he was their <laughs> kick returner that year yeah. as well. Uh, but yeah, Lendell, the both of them as freshmen, they had two thousand yard receivers, Mike Williams and Kerry Colbert. They oh, also Kerry had Colbert Steve. Sm- yep, they also had Steve Smith on that team uh, okay. as their slot receiver. So yeah, they that was a loaded team. That was a and, and Mike and Williams. So the, Wayne oh, Jarrett came in the next year, probably right. Like just <laughs> yeah. insane. <man. laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, they probably Absolutely. had Dominic. Dominic Bird was by their tight end. Then he right? was that. that he year? was. Yeah. He was. Yeah. 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 Good player, yeah. The next year, their leading receivers, as you said, were Dwayne Jarrett and Steve Smith. So. Sure. Yeah, they uh that team that team was loaded. They yeah. they were really really loaded. That was a really good football team. It's really uh, it's Darnell, really funny. We were talking about Darnell Bing the other day. He was on Monster. that team, Monster, right? Dude. He was on that team. Uh, Kenechi Aduze, remember him? Frosty Rucker, yes, was on that yes. team. So yeah, they had some dudes. They had some Man. dudes on that team. Really it's it's crazy to think about that you had those wide receivers of Mike Williams, Dwayne Jarrett, Steve Smith, and Kerry yep. Colbert, and all those guys. Yep. The guy that ended up being the most productive NFL player was Steve Smith. Steve Smith, <laughs> pretty significantly. Yep. Too. Sean Cody was on that team too, a guy that should have gone to Notre Dame if Notre Dame didn't blow it. But yeah, that that's USC wins that one, bud. In my Man, opinion, that no that doubt. linebacker crew in 05, right? What was it? Cushing, Maluga, Keith Rivers, like yeah, Man. Matt Grodegood <laughs> was on those teams as well. Yeah. If you remember him. Man. That funky name he had, yeah. That team was sick, man. Yeah, it really was, was. And then you got Darnell really Bing on the second level sometimes. Like, oh, my God. All right. <laughs> Here's right. another interesting big-picture question from uh, – uh, actually, I'm going to go back to John's question there in a little bit. Let's get back to some Notre Dame stuff here for a little bit. But John's got a really interesting Penn State question I want to get to later. Okay. But let's go, let's go here first. 
Christopher Crosby said, I've watched Isaiah Canyon's highlights film several times. I have not seen any of his game film yet. He has some good throws in there. How high of a level do you think he could play quarterback, power five, division three, et cetera? I think personally, Brian, and it's just for me, I think he could be a high level quarterback on an FCS level team. Yeah. And I think that he could, but I think he could play quarterback on a group of five team and be yes. like a, a dual threat Solid. type of kid. Yeah. yeah. Agree. I agree. He 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 can. I mean, because like you said, he's got an arm. He's accurate. He can make reads. He's not just some athlete that can throw it a mile. He's, he's like a sixty-nine percent completion guy last year, right? Man. Exactly. Like, legitimately, like, it's he, like, he's like he wasn't like just he chunking. wasn't running the triple option, going fourteen of thirty-five. But he had some bombs. I mean, he was he was hitting. He was completing a high percentage of his passes. I, I mean, me, no for, for for comparison, he legitimately can throw the football. Oliver Miles is a kid where it's just like he's just in there because he can run the ball. Like he's not a passer, right? Like Oliver yeah. Miles, I. They completed like 50% of his passes last year, had the same same amount of touchdowns and interceptions. Like Isaiah Canyon was a legit thrower for Warner Robbins last yeah. year. Yeah. All right. Let's go to uh some more here, Ryan. Um, here's one from Notre Dame 2164, one of our OGs. Question is no question today, guys. I just wanted to say how thankful I am to be a part of this community and how proud I am of this channel and how far it's come. Also, don't let negativity bring you down. I appreciate you very, very much. Appreciate you very much. Here's one, Ryan, I'm going to read for you. Okay. Okay. This is from Cameron Crazy 818. Ryan, he asked, what's the best cheesesteak in Philly? Pat's, Geno's, or Tony Luke's? Is Lilo's still the best? I I prefer Lilo's, Cameron. I do. It's So it's not not a... It's not the best cheesesteak in Philly because Lilo's is in South Jersey, right? So, like, it doesn't fit the criteria in that regard. But if you ask me... I can go into Philly and get one of a Pat's, a Geno's, or a Tony Luke's, or I can just stay in Jersey and get a Lilo's down the road. Go on to Lilo's, brother. Lilo, I think I think it's a more – I think it's just a more high-quality product. You know, like it's some of those chains at times you'll get some steak or cheese Whiz or whatever. You're just like, this isn't incredibly high-quality stuff because you're just mass-producing it. Lilo's is like they're getting you legitimate steak – they're not just drowning it in subpar cheese. They're putting legitimate provolone or American or whatever cheese you want on there. They're toasting the roll for every single order. Like they, they take care of you, man. So Lilo's number one out of those three, I would probably go Pat's out of Pat's Gino. I would probably go in that order. Actually, I'd probably go Pat's Gino's then Tony Luke's for me. Tony Luke's is just a little quality has gone down over the years, but yes, Lilo's for me, man. Go check it out. It's good. If to give me a second, Ryan. I'm actually ordering lunch now because I just yes. got hungry all of a sudden. So for uh, some uh, strange Brian, reason, Lilo, Lilo's yeah. put some uh, some garlic butter on the rolls, yeah. man. Toast it to, up. It's to good, mute man. Ryan. I'm about to leave the show and go get lunch here it's after good, that man. conversation. <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's go here, Ryan. I'll get this one uh, a little bit. One. Let's Charles Parson says, in your opinion. Who are the most important June visitors? Also, is Notre Dame still on Bronte Johnson? Saw he was a crystal ball to Notre Dame. I don't see that one happening, Ryan. Obviously, we've talked a little bit about that. Uh, That's obviously somebody's crystal ball that they will eventually change. Uh, I don't know who still has him. Um, that's that's why it's so flawed is the fact that you can change it so easily. (laughs) Yes, You can leave it on a kid for so long, even though – you know he's not going there. There's one prediction on him, and that was made. Um, I mean, that was made by Tom Loy back in January. But back in January, there was a lot more optimism that they were going to be able to get him into school and do all that kind of stuff. So it made sense for Tom to put the crystal ball out. But here's what's going to happen: Tom will change it at some point in time, and you know, and you get credit for it being right. Although I give Tom credit, he doesn't always change his crystal balls. He won't just at the last second always change a crystal ball right before it happens to get his percentages up, which is why his percentage is a lot lower than some of the national guys who will make three or four different crystal balls for a guy. And then, you know, cause like Ryan, when was the last time a kid committed and we're like, wow, I had no clue that was going to happen at least a couple <laughs> days in advance. I mean, it rarely happens. And yeah. so, you know, we'd be I, able I mean, to change I mean, our crystal D- balls. Davion Dixon, I guess was a quick one, yeah. but like otherwise. But he wouldn't have been yeah, a kid that we'd have had a crystal ball in for. Right. right. That's, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, so, I mean, yeah, that, that's why I don't put a lot of stock in that stuff. Yeah. To me, you should be able to do a crystal ball once. That's it. You can do yep. one crystal ball and you can't change it. And then let's see what your percentage is. First of all, let's see how often they use it for clickbait like they do. And then let's see what your percentage is. So, I mean, 
I, Notre Dame could have signed 75 kids last year if they would have got every kid to get a crystal ball. That's for very him. true, man. That's very true. Yeah. I mean, I think there's still a crystal ball out there for CJ Carter, Michigan somewhere. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very well played. My oh, well, oh, my favorite one was that Brendan Vernon still crystal balled somewhere to Ohio State. And yeah. He was never going to go to Ohio yeah. State. Because like, <laughs> I think it's once it's once a guy commits, it's locked in. You can't change yes. it once a guy commits. So you can't yeah. take those away. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. That's very funny. Here we go. From Rob Osgood, who said, from my son Jack, does the Notre Dame Leprechaun have a name? I had no idea. I it, So I was doing some research on this when I saw the question come up, Rob, and the Leprechaun does not have um, a name. It's just the Leprechaun. Uh, the only nicknames they've had are they used to have a dog as part of their mascot, and it was Clashmore Mike was the last name that was Ooh. given to it. So, uh, but it was a, I think I read here, it was like a, it was a terrier. Let's see here. Um yeah, see, a number uh, of terriers Terrier. later took the role of the school mascot, which usually took the name Clashmore Mike. Oh. So, yeah. Then the the Leprechaun was officially named the mascot in 1965. I, I will say so, this, though. The but it's person, just called The Leprechaun is the name. Yeah. But the person that plays the Leprechaun, Rob, definitely has a name. Guaranteed. Sure. Sure. But the mascot. <laughs> I know. I'm just, the mascot. Yeah. I'm just being a jerk. Ryan, Ryan you are. You definitely are today. <laughs> that was a joke. Knock Knock it off. Knock it off. <laughs> um, all the good, right. all the good here, here, here we go. This is an interesting one. From Patrick Quinlan who says, hypothetical trade, Joe Alt to Ohio State in exchange for Marvis Harrison Jr. Who says no? Does this make each team better or worse? I say no. I say no. <laughs> I say, I say no. Here's why. You could make a case that Marvin Harrison is going to be the best player in college football next year. This is, this is not a comment about is Marvin Harrison great? It's about looking at your roster and number one, what is your foundation? You can't say, hey, we're a team built on line play and then yeah. trade your elite left tackle for a wide receiver. Yes. Number two, I feel a lot better about where the receiving depth chart is now than I would for the offensive line depth chart if they traded Joe Walt away. Who, who's going to be the replacement for Joe Walt? Well, like, yeah, Blake Fisher slides over, but then my sure. question is who slides? Like It's like this. Emil Wagner probably steps into the starting lineup or Tosh Baker does. Right. right. So yeah. my question is, who do you want starting? Uh, Deion Colsey or Jaden Thomas, whoever be the boundary or Emil Wagner with right. Joe Walt or Marvin Harrison, a receiver and Emil Wagner or Tosh Baker at tackle. Right. The, with two other guards that are first time starters. Right. So it's about it's about composition of your of your roster and your team. Now, yeah. If we were in a situation where, let's say, you know, Notre Dame would have landed Monroe Freeling last year, I'm, I might be Ryan or they, Samson Oklahoma. I might be a little bit more inclined to say, well, I don't love that trade. I'd always right. rather have the elite left tackle, but I do have Blake Fisher, who I think would be a pretty flipping darn good left tackle. And yes. between Emil Wagner and now I got Samson Oklahoma, I got Charles Jagasaw, I've got Monroe Freeling. I feel like we're going to be okay there. I'd consider it then. But, right. you know, I, I don't want to have to thrust Charles Jagas onto the starting lineup at tackle, especially since I kind of would like to see him slept, step into the starting lineup, maybe a guard, you know. Yeah. But, um, I, I, yeah, I, I, would I would turn love, that down. I would love feedback on Ohio State's side. I know Archer's probably in There's here. Archer, would you no take way. Joe Walt for Marvin Harrison Jr.? Serious yeah. question. Would you? I, I would know, man. Ohio State could cushion it. Could but here's why it might be better for Ohio State to make that trade. You've yeah. got a Mecca. You've got the best freshman exactly. group receivers. Cardinal Tate had a great spring. He had a really good freshman class last year. All like two or three of those guys have already transferred. But you're loaded a receiver. Offensive yep. line's a huge question mark for them. Huge yep. question mark. So yeah, I'd, I'd uh, I, I yep. think they, I think Ohio State would probably consider it more than Notre Dame would, just because again, they're 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 replacing Marvin from a position of strength. Where Notre Dame wouldn't be trying to replace Joe Alt from the same position of strength. The loss of Joe Alt would hurt Notre Dame more than the loss of Marvin Harrison would hurt Ohio State. Does that make sense? Right. So again, this it isn't does. two Notre Dame guys trying to say, "Oh, Joe Alt's better than Marvin Harrison." That's not the point. It's, not. it's about it's making your team, your whole group, as good as it can be. And Ohio it's State good. would be a lot better positioned over the course of, a, of an entire season to play without Marvin Harrison than Notre Dame would be to play without Joe Alt. 
That's I, I just I, I think the separation between the San Diego State kid that just transferred to Ohio State and Joe Walt is a lot larger than Marvin Harrison Jr. going down the Cardinal Tate. That's my whole point, right? Like Marvin yeah. Harrison Jr. is the best wide receiver in college football. There's no doubt. But you know who's probably gonna be really, really good? Yeah. Carnell Tate and Brandon was in the Dennis. spring, like, yeah, and yeah. was already in the spring, and they got a right. Mecca book and all that, yeah. And again, I, I none, none of Notre Dame's receivers just goes Marvin Harrison. I'm not saying that, yeah. but it's more. Yeah. It's also about at receiver. Notre Dame would be. I, I'm not worried about receiver to be completely honest with you. Like Ohio yeah. State's worried about offensive line because I can scheme my way to success at receiver. I can't scheme my way to success with a not great left tackle. I just I am right. who I am. Not against the best teams on your schedule. Anyway. I think it's where a team could best cushion the blow. And yeah. I feel like Ohio State would be able to cushion that blow more than you. You Notre can't Dame tell would. me that you, we recruit receivers better than anybody else in college football and then say we couldn't handle losing Marvin Harrison. Right. You can't. And they, you know, not that you'd want to, but if you're getting a, an elite left tackle as the replacement, I you, you kind of got to feel like Ohio State would have to consider that. Yeah. At least I would anyway. I would definitely reconsider it. I would. Here's here's a here's a, a recruiting question, Ryan. I'm going to go ahead and ask this one so you can answer it, since it's a recruiting okay. one. And Ian Johnson asks: Does Teddy Rezac's commitment impact the recruitment of Chris Cole, since he was recruited as a Rover as well? No, Ian, it doesn't. We we talked about this the other day. So Chris Cole is a much more projectable player playing inside as a will linebacker than what like Teddy Rezac is. Like Teddy is a pure rover right now. Like that's what he is. Yes, Notre Dame has talked to him about if your body develops a certain way, if you get to a certain weight, all that type of stuff, maybe you move inside. But right now he is a pure rover for Notre Dame. Chris Cole is a kid that, yes, can he play rover? Sure. Can he also play will linebacker? Because we, I saw me and Brian both saw him in person, right? And he is 6'3", long, already 210 pounds. He's going to be 225 but probably during his freshman year if he ends up at Notre Dame or wherever he ends up, right? So I don't think that that impacts that much at all. I think that you're still looking to get two other linebackers in this class, Kingston, Villamuasa, and if you're able to get a Chris Cole to pair with a Teddy Rezac, you feel pretty good about that, about that linebacker class overall. Yeah, Ryan, I, I agree with you. Chris Cole, I feel a lot better about being able to play a lot of different positions. Yes. Um, I mean, Rover is where we see him right now, but I, I've, I've said, I mean, even before this week, I've said, I could see, I think Chris Cole has a chance to grow into a will. I wouldn't even be completely shocked at all. Like completely shocked, like completely stunned. If someday he's a 255 pound Viper that just is <laughs> just, long, man. He's right? I mean, long. he's just kind of, I mean, I'm not predicting it, Ryan. He doesn't have quite the frame Josh Burnham had, but you've seen the kid in person. Yes. It would not be a shock if like in two years, all of a sudden he has like a 25 pound, 30 pound jump. Yep. In size after a year in Chris Matt Bayless's strength program, um, yeah, I, I could see that. I, again, I'm not I'm not predicting it, but I could see it. I could see it for sure. Yeah, no, he's um, stupid long, man. Just seeing him in person, he is stupid long. I, I I need to ask him what his arm length was, but he he's got to have 33 plus inch arms too, yeah. man. He is long. Yeah, yeah, he yes, absolutely. He's a very, very, very long player. All right, this is a good. This is a good question. A very fair question, though. Very fair question. I want to get to another one, Ryan. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about here. That's along the same lines. Michael asks my guy Michael. Know Michael long time. Appreciate you, Michael. Does the commit of Teddy Rezac help with the 2025 high school teammate? That's Christian Jones, who I also believe plays the linebacker position. You are correct. He is a kind of a will for them, but projects yes. to me as more of a Mike at the next level. Yeah. yeah. But yes. Go ahead. And, you want to go ahead and get that one, Ryan? Yeah, yeah, Michael. So uh, to Brian's point, Christian Jones is already a 6'3", 220-pound linebacker as a sophomore in high school. So he definitely, I think, projects to Mike long-term. There's no doubt. Could it help? I think so because, I, Brian, if you look at the uh, one of the first quote tweets when Rezac got his offer from Notre Dame, it was Christian Jones that retweeted it and said, nobody deserves this more than him. And we know that I, I've spoken to Christian several times since he got – since he got offered during the pot of gold offer events. And he, I think has a high interest in Notre Dame. I would be very surprised if he did not visit Notre Dame over the next couple of months. I think that that is definitely a thing that he will do. He's an impressive kid, man. He ran in a 11 flat as a sophomore, hundred meter dash at six, three, 220 pounds. Also was a 50 plus put shot putter as a sophomore as well. So this kid's explosive. He's got range. He's physical. I love Christian Jones. And yes, I think, I think that it can definitely help you 
maybe get a little bit of an inside track. So we'll see how as as far as if yeah. in actuality it does, but I do think that it can help you out, no doubt. You, you were correct, and Ryan, I, I like the way you presented that because what you're saying is this isn't going to be a thing where oh he's following him to the school, right. but it's right. it's a he kid already liked you. This could be one of those things that is a a tiebreaker if it yes. comes down to it, right? That's and, and a great the, and way of over saying it. over yeah. the next few months because we're going to come over on summer and then into the fall and everything. I guarantee you, Teddy's going to be like, hey, man, Notre Dame's the place to be, brother. Notre Dame's the place to be. Like, he's going to be recruiting mm-hmm. Christian for the next couple of years, which I think will help, obviously, Notre Dame's case as well. Yep. Yep. Very, we're having some really good questions today. There's there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Uh, here's a question from John A1, Ryan. It kind of, it's kind of a big picture question, it looks like, but let's address this with the Notre Dame specifically. And his question is, can, pl- can poor safety play undo excellent cornerback play i'm I'm reading these questions right because I'm, I'm actually trying to fix something right now on the yeah. the site gotcha. so I'm, I'm letting you uh <laughs> gotcha. no yeah john i mean yeah it can if it's i mean if it's to a certain level right i mean you can have the best corners in the world but every cornerback whether you are benjamin morrison or Deion sanders or anything in between you're going to get beat at times like you're going to so having safeties that can erase mistakes on the back end is important it is like there's no we talked about Benjamin Morrison's stats last year, right? As far as how many catches he gave up, receiving yards, it's low comparative to most players, but he's still going to give up some, right? Like nobody's ever going to be perfect. So with that in mind, safeties and cornerbacks really play off of each other so well. I mean, but you could say also vice versa of like, can poor cornerback play affect safeties? Excellent safety play. Yes. The answer is yes. You need both of these positions to work well together. That's why in the back end, you'll see guys communicating at such a high level. What coverage is it? Who's passing off? You know, who, who's, who's got what zone, all that type of type of stuff, right? What alignment means this, you're going to see a lot of communication because those play off of each other so well. So yes, if Notre Dame has tremendous cornerback play in 2023 with Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart and Jaden Mickey and Thomas Harper and nickel, and if they're great, that's fantastic. But if you're on the back end, if your safeties are bad, then you're still going to give up a lot of big plays because at the end of the day, cornerbacks can't cover all day and they're going to give up some things. And if you don't have safeties that can create, that can make up for some mistakes. Yes. It can hurt your overall players. No doubt. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. All right, Ryan, we've got a question down here about uh, – we have a super chat here from Fighting Irish Raiders. This is a really good one. And the question is – thank you so much for the super chat, by the way. What four Notre Dame teams would you put in the playoff game versus each other? I choose 1988, 1993, 2005, 2015, in which it would be 1988 versus 2015 and 1993 versus 2005 Notre Dame. I, I loved that Notre Dame 2005 team. It was one of my favorite teams to watch because you know, big Brady Quinn fan. You talked earlier about bowl games being a yeah. uh, sort of a potential breaking out point. Samarja yeah. against Oregon State, they lost that game, but Jeff Samarja showed some skill in that game, if you remember. But I can't have the 15 or the 05 team in in that. Well, I you know, to me, I. The 15 team was very talented, but that team had Brian Van Gorder, defensive coordinator. Sure. Uh, you know, so I, I, I'd still have to, I, I'd still have to, um, I'd, I'd still have to go with the 18 team over, over the 15 team, right? You can maybe put 05 in there, but man, that 1990 Notre Dame team to me was pretty darn good as well. The 1992 Notre Dame team that finished number five 
they lost to Stanford that year in a tied Michigan. They went on to beat number four, Texas A&M, 28-3 in a bowl game, beat number 22, Penn State, beat number nine, BC, 54-7, to which Rome Bettis and Reggie Brooks and, and Rick Meyer. That team was lo- – Bryant, you know, Bryant Young, that team was loaded. So I'd, I'd have to put one of those two teams in there over the over the 05 team probably, and same with the 15 team. So um, – but, uh, yeah, so I'd go 88-89 would, all, would definitely be on my list, Ryan. I mean, who's, who's your maybe, national champion in the end? May, maybe I'm getting a bit nostalgic. The 90 team had two losses. So I have a hard, so that team was talented, but I can't put them in there because they did have two losses. Even though they were ranked very high at the end of the year, they were ranked number seven going, or they were actually ranked number five going into the bowl season. But I think that ranking of number five was a little bit, it was a, it was a little bit about reputation. But, you know, they did beat number four Michigan that year. They beat a ranked Michigan State team on the road. They beat number two Miami. They beat number nine Tennessee. Um, you know, so they definitely played a much tougher schedule. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go 88 as the one seed, 89 is the two seed. I'm going to go 1992 as the three seed. And just to get somewhat of a modern team on there, <laughs> let's go the 05 Notre Dame team as the four seed. How about that? How about like that? Okay. Um, you know who wins it all? Do you know who wins the, the whole thing of those four teams? Oh, five. 89 89 <laughs> Notre Dame is is was the best team that I've ever seen from Notre Dame. Like that team was that team was phenomenal. 88 team was great, but that 89 team was was unreal good. I mean that 89 team this is this is who they beat that year, right? They beat number 2 Michigan on the road, beat number 17 Air Force on the road, beat number 9 USC, beat number 7 Pitt 45 to 7, beat number 17 on the road. Penn State on the road, 34 to 23, beat number one Colorado in a bowl game, 21 to 6. That team also that year beat a Virginia team that finished the year ranked 18th in the AP, 15th in the coaches poll, that had uh, Sean Moore, Herman Moore, uh, Terry Kirby. Uh, I believe Chris Slade was on that team. That was a really, really good team. And Notre Dame absolutely annihilated. It was not as close as the 36 to 13 score. I think at the end of the year, I think that team played seven teams that finished the year ranked in the top 15, if I remember correctly, in one of the two polls. If I'm, I'm going to pull it up here real quick. But they, that number, number, um, Virginia finished the year 15th in the coaches poll. Michigan finished as high as seven in the AP poll. Uh, see, Air Force, I don't believe finished that year ranked. Yeah, they did not. They finished eight. Eight, four, and one. Michigan State, who they who that eighty nine team beat uh, twenty one to thirteen, finished ranked sixteenth that year. Ryan, so that's another win over a, a high quality team. USC that year finished ranked eighth in the AP poll. So that's already two top ten wins for Notre Dame. Uh, that Pitt team finished the year ranked seventeenth, so it would have been the top seventeen. Uh, Penn State, that Penn State team that they beat on the road, finished fourteenth in the coaches poll. And then they lost to Miami, who was the eventual number one champions. And then they beat a Colorado team in a bowl game that finished ranked fourth. That's who they beat that year. That's unreal, unreal uh, to to beat that many good teams in one season. Um, that that's the best team Notre Dame had. They just look if you flipped it, Ryan, and if they'd have played, if the '88 team would have had to play Miami at Miami, and the '88 nine team would have played Miami at home, the results mm-hmm. would have been different. The '89 team would have won the title, not the '88 team. I mean that that to me is how it would have gone in my opinion. Yeah. Miami was the only team that could have beat Notre Dame that year. That's it. It's the only team that could have beat Notre Dame that year was Miami. I mean, because again, Colorado was undefeated and ranked number one, and Notre Dame worked them. Did do you know? Do you remember? Or have you ever looked back at that 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 game or watched that game or anything like that, Ryan? No. I Notre haven't. Dame beat them twenty-one to six. Here's who they had on that defense. They had Cannabis uh, McGee, Alfred Williams, Chad Brown. You remember Chad Brown? Yeah, Brown was a monster. Yeah. yeah, he was on that team. They had three front seven guys that were like first-round draft picks on that team, that Colorado team. And Charles Johnson was their quarterback. Darren Hagan was actually their starting quarterback. Eric Bieniemy was their running back. Um, they had Jay Liegwenberg as their center. Remember him? He played in the NFL yes. for a while. Mike Pritchard was a starting receiver on that team for them. Uh, Bruce Joel Steed. Remember Joel Steed? He played in the NFL for a while. Yep. He was on that team. Like So that Colorado team was loaded. And Notre Dame worked them in that game, especially the second half. I mean, they worked them in that game. Uh, Darian Hagan had like a long touchdown run. That was the only thing they could do all game. He had like an option run that went a long way because Colorado was trying to do what Notre Dame did. They just didn't have as good of players as what Notre Dame had. And so they were able to shut down that option, man. 
that was a that was a heck of a team. That yeah. was a really really great team. Well, There's and no Brian, doubt. a little update: uh, a couple of Ohio State people in the chat have said that they would think about that trade, but they would ultimately decline the trade because it's State hard side. to it's hard to walk away from your guy, right? That's the thing with that, Ryan. It it is. It's hard to talk, walk away from your guy, but yeah. I think the fact that some of the Buckeye fans that they at least think about it says like that's. Yeah, the value of left tackle, and then the concern that they have right now at that position. Well, I mean, I mean, to be fair, I would also think about Marvin Harrison for a minute, but then I would ultimately decline sure. as well. I sure, mean, sure. Oh, it's yeah. not one. I'm. It's not one. Like I'm like, get away from me with that trade. You're out of your mind. No, I'm like, oh man, boy, best receiver. It would be game. nice. Yeah, it would be oh. nice. Yeah, sure. You know, but uh, at the end of the day, I'm just I'm not giving up the I'm not giving up the best left tackle for the best receiver. At the end of the day, yeah. that's what it boils down to for me. Yeah. So. But yeah, it'd it'd be interesting. I'm glad that there aren't trades in college football. That'd be terrible. It'd be, be mayhem, man. Absolutely, Absolutely mayhem. terrible. That'd be so Cause bad. Because then team would be like it would be like player for player, but then also cash consideration on one side and stuff. It would just oh, yeah. be so messy. Yeah. <laughs> like so messy. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it should be is if if a guy is gonna leave in the portal and not sit out, you have to pay that school two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, something like that. <laughs> You yeah. know, oh, they would love that. Logan's yeah, would love that. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Start putting te- some financial teeth to some of these things, and guess what? They may stop. They may actually stop doing it. But now that was a really fun question there, um, fighting Irish Raiders. I appreciate that one. I like those. We had another super chat from Garth Cassidy. Garth, thank you so much. Said Brian, is Keanu Kia coming back next season, and is he a Mike linebacker? Or do you think they will use him like Junior Tuilamaka? We'll have to. We'll have to look into that one. I'm not, you know, I mean, the last we were told this was, I don't know what, Ryan, about three, four months ago when you interviewed his brother because yeah, Notre Dame they, was look. Did they offer him or they're just looking at him? There's they offered him. Right? They, they offered, offered him. Josiah. Yeah. They offered Josiah Kia a scholarship, who's, who's Kahano's younger brother. And at the time, he said he was still planning to come back. Yep. Obviously, things could change as he gets closer to being done with his mission, which he's still in the middle of his mission. Uh, for those Correct. who don't know, he's on a Mormon mission right now. And so uh, things could always change, Ryan. But as of right now, the plan is for him to come back. Um, yep. And I see him as a Mike is is what I th- – part of it's going to depend on, you know, where – I don't – I think his mission was in the United States. It like is. A, it, it was in, like, Virginia or North Carolina. It's like a sort of a like normal that. city, like yeah, Charlotte yeah. or something like that. So, something I mean, he'll like have that. access to, like, gyms and fields. And, you yep. know, some of these kids go have to serve in, like, third world countries and things like that. And that's where it can get a little tough for the kid to stay in shape. But Gahan yep. is in a – you know, he's in a – big city and you know and, and he'll be fine if, yep. as long as he's putting in the work he'll he'll be fine there but uh, uh based on what we know, know of him in high school and his freshman at Notre Dame Brian that's a, he's a Mike in my yep. opinion here's an interesting question from Katie Kievers Ryan that uh that I that I find fascinating to consider that I hadn't really thought about because I still haven't really digested the rule change a lot yet but this one got me well- thinking Katie's question is do you think the new rule changes in college football will affect teams that rely on time of possession to win games big time. I think yeah. it helps them. I think it helps them a ton. I mean, there's a lot more value now to, to milk in the clock. Cause Let you can really, run, baby. Oh Let man. Like, I'm yeah. really curious to see how this is going to impact army and Navy. And you could literally, the way the rule is now, Ryan picking up first downs, you could literally almost run out an entire quarter on a drive. Yeah. The way that those triple option teams work. Because the the new rule, obviously, being clocks don't stop on first downs. Yep. And so, I mean, not an entire quarter, but like you, you get what I'm saying. Where a, a, each team has one drive and the quarter's over. You know, right. I mean, I it's it's it, that's going to really reduce games, in my opinion. Yep. And it's going to make it so much more important for offenses to jump all over the triple option teams immediately and force them to try to throw the football. Yep. I mean, you got to get all over them early. But yes, those teams, it is going to allow some teams to shorten the games much more Big so time. than they could have before. There's, there's no doubt. Now, yeah. does that all of a sudden mean Bama loses to Kentucky because of it? No, and I'm not saying but there's going to be some strategy involved. But in a 42 it, yes. to 17 game becomes a 24 to 13 game now, you know, just because of the lack of possessions that you're going to see if teams are good at that. Yep. So, yeah, well. But it also, I think, what, what it also here's the the negative side of it. It's going to make it a little bit harder to come back because you're going to have a little, you know, maybe a less possession or two to have a big comeback, yeah. and that's going to yep. be a, a factor in, in it as well. Lack of ability to stop the clock and all that great stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you you might have to see teams starting to do the spike thing with like 
if they're down two possessions and, and they're driving six minutes left in the game, they may have to get a big play and spike the freaking ball. You know, to I don't stop the clock. I, I don't envy offensive coaches right now, man. They no. got to think a lot right now. <laughs> no. Yeah, they do. They do. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Ugh. All right. Uh, I'm going to ask this one, Ryan, because this is for you, because it's a football okay. NFL question that I okay. uh, cannot address. Sure. Christopher Crosby says, uh, Chase Young, this is the defensive end from Ohio State, who's now with the Washington Commanders. Chase Young had a great rookie season. Since then, he hasn't stayed healthy. Washington declined his fifth-year option. Is it too early to consider him a bust? Yeah, it's too early in my opinion, Christopher, because we're talking about a player that has played one healthy season and then had two injury riddled ones back to back. So they declined it, obviously, before his fourth year of starting. Right. But he was a young rookie. He was only 21, I believe. So, I mean, he's only 24 years old right now. Right. And, and just yes, Ryan, and he just turned 24 in April. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he's, he's going to be 24 the entire season is the yep. point. So if he, I understand that it's a, you haven't seen him, his impact in two years, right? Two healthy seasons or two injury riddled seasons in a row. But if he gets back and he has a really nice season in in year four, then I think that that could really, that could really propel him to the type of career that we thought Chase Young was going to have, right? Like, I mean, there's a lot that depended on that, like, are the injuries going to start to take a toll on his body? Is he going to be able to get back to full health? Like there's a lot of conversation piece, but for me, it's, yeah, it's, it's way too early. I mean, th- this is a situation where he's had one really good year in three years, but two years were not necessarily his fault of an on-field product. It was just an injury conversation. So if he has another injury year going into his fifth year, then we can start getting closer to that bus label potentially, uh, because then the you're going to be closer to kind of that, you know, that, that window of no return type of thing. But I think it's way too early at this point. Yes. I want to say this too, Ryan. I have a really hard time considering guys bust when it's only about injuries. Like it's not, like you said, when he's been healthy, he's been pretty good. Right. I mean, his first, wasn't he the rookie of the year uh, looking at it? I think it was the defense rookie of the year. Probably, yeah. yeah. So I just, in general, this isn't specifically about Chase because, again, I don't watch much NFL, but this isn't about Chase. But if if a, if he's only being considered a bust because he's been hurt, I don't consider that guy a bust. Jamarcus Russell was a bust because he sucked, right? Like, that that's a bust. A guy that showed promise and got hurt, to me, is not a bust, in my opinion. Just This is how I define that term. I just, I have a hard time viewing it that way. If if a guy that. showed promise and got hurt, that that doesn't make him a bust. It just means he had an unfortunate, you know, an unfortunate injury. It's like Terrell Davis didn't become he didn't you know whoa he wasted an opportunity to build. A, he was a great running back, got hurt, and he was never the same. It doesn't mean that he you know my perception of him should change of how great he was or how great he would have been without the injuries. So that's just that's just kind of a a, a thing for me. Like I, I think a guy that goes to a bad program that ruins him that you can still like there. David Carr was a bust. I mean, he was, I would sit here and argue, however, that if David Carr would have gone somewhere other than the Texans or Browns, and I say Browns, cause if he doesn't go to the Texans, that would have been the other a horrible option for him. I think his career turns out differently. I do. I could be wrong. I have no evidence of that, but I, I think, it, but he, he was a bust. He wasn't hurt. He just didn't play very well. That, that's a bust to me, but a guy that goes out there and gets hurt as a rookie, like if Cam Akers never pans out, I don't necessarily, I don't know if I'd consider that a bust as much as I had a bad Achilles injury and he was never the same. You know, um that is a little bit of a technicality to me, but that's something I've always kind of felt uh felt kind of strongly about is if it's now if a guy was got hurt in year three and he 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 didn't really pan out yet, but you thought he could, that's kind of a bust. Sure. But like with Chase Young, he was pretty good as a rookie, got he's hurt, yep. and he's not been the same. That I don't count that as a bust as much for me. That's fair. That's fair. All right. We got some really good question. Here's that Penn State question I wanted to get to, Ryan, from John A1 that I thought was a really good one. Said, if Penn State joined the Big East in 1994 instead of the Big Ten, would they, would they have been better off? Is there still an ACC today if that happens? Yeah, there'd still be an ACC today uh, because I think the Big East was ultimately doomed to be completely honest with you, my question would be is where would Penn State have gone? Right. That's what I think the change would have been. And here's the other thing is, this is an interesting one. Would Penn State to the Big East have been enough to get Notre Dame under previous leadership to join the Big East? I don't think Jack Swarbrick would have done it, but there were some pretty weak off def- athletic directors before Jack Swarbrick that I could have seen 
cowering and joining the Big East because they had the the great basketball relationship. It was a great basketball league back then. Penn State would have still been in there. You know, maybe Notre Dame would have been that prize for the Big East to say, "Hey, we can still we can still do this thing." If if you'd have been able to get that that you know the Penn State fans in the market and the Notre Dame fans in the TV market, that might have been enough to save the Big East football. Maybe, maybe, because you'd have had Miami, Penn State, Notre Dame in the Big East. That's that'd have been that'd have been pretty good. But yeah, um, yeah um, I, I I think they ultimately would have led to they would have ultimately likely ended up in the Big Ten anyway. I think they would have taken a different path, and I think they would have been a more successful team going into the Big Ten. Meaning, um, they would have, I think, built on the because Coach Paterno was starting to kind of get them back on track when they went into the Big Ten. Because early on in the Big Ten, Penn State was pretty good. I just feel like they were always doomed to fade in the Big Ten, and even without the scandal that happened, because that's part of it too. Uh, but um, they were never going to be Ohio State, and they were never going to be Michigan in the Big Ten. Just never would, never will, and just none of it. They're just they're never going to be that. But I mean, they they were, but they started to fade and and kind of bounce back a little bit even before the, the scandal stuff happened. You know, because I mean, they they joined the Big Ten in 1993. The whole stuff with Paterno that happened in 2001. And three of the four years before that, they were eighth, eighth, and twelfth in the AP, or the, excuse me, eighth, ninth, and twelfth in the AP. 2005, they finished in, number three. The scandal happened in 2001. It was a 2011. Ago, really? Excuse oh, me. 11. Okay. 2011. I was like, yeah. oh, <laughs> um, which is just, I mean, it's just one of the many reasons I just despise Joe Paterno, just for so many, and I always have. I've never liked Joe Paterno, but. Um, you know, but they had some years in the middle there from like 82,000 to 2005. They went five and seven, five and six, nine and four, three and nine and four and seven. They had a five-year stretch where they finished unranked in uh, four of those five years. They just were never, to me, the same program that they were in like the 70s and 80s. Like so from 1968 to 1986 when they won their – and they won two titles in that stretch in 82 and 86 – they finished in the AP poll starting in 67, 10th, 2nd, 2nd, 18th, 5th, 10th, 5th, 7th, 10th, unranked, 5, 4, 20, 8, 3, 1, unranked, unranked, 3, 1. So two national championships. They were a big-time program. Yes, they were. And they just went and chased the, the Big Ten money, in my opinion. And, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, though, as Notre Dame fans, we, we kind of have to own sort of – our favorite program's role in that because Notre Dame kind of got the TV revenue stuff started with their own deal. Now it would have happened anyway, but Notre Dame kind of got it started a little bit. Notre Dame getting their big deal kind of began that process that, which then led to the, uh, the independent league dying because Penn state was an independent until 1992. And here's, here's in the independents were already kind of going down because like, Notre Dame and Penn State were the last two. The rest of the independents in 92 were Southern Miss, Memphis, Army, East Carolina, Louisiana Tech, Louisville, Northern Illinois, Tulsa, Cincinnati, Arkansas State, Southwest Louisiana, Tulane, and Navy. That's it. South, Southwest Louisiana, huh? Yeah. that's. I think that's oh. now Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, I think is who that oh, is. Gotcha. It's Because it used to be uh, Southeastern Louisiana, I believe, is now Louisiana Monroe, I believe. Um, yeah. Southwest Louisiana it was uh, is now yeah it's the Raging Cajun so it's now Louisiana Lafayette it's yep. so they basically they went from directional to um, city right yeah exactly yeah. so um, I always kind of thought like I think I think Waterboy was the final straw for that they're like now because they remember <laughs> they had that yes um, South was it South Central Louisiana or something was, like was that what it was that. or something like that something yeah. like that. Um, but so that was the night in 1992, but consider what it was just four years prior, Ryan, in 1988, or even, Mm -hmm. even in, um, in, in, uh, see 1990, let's see me here. Is it 1989? Yeah. 1990, just two years prior. This was, this was actually, you know what? No, I take that back. Notre Dame didn't play a role. It was Miami and Florida state, but in 1990, the independent league was Notre Dame, Penn state, Miami, Florida state, Louisville were still in it. You had Boston College, West Virginia, Pitt, Rutgers, a lot of those teams, Virginia Tech, South Carolina were still in it. Syracuse were still independents. 
And and then in uh, what year did it change? In 1991, uh, Miami went to the Big East. Syracuse went to the Big East. Virginia Tech went to the Big East. Pitt, West Virginia went to the Big East. Rutgers went to the Big East. And so um, that's kind of when it started. The whole the the conference realignment thing really started. Yeah, because there wasn't a Big East in football back then in 1990 there was no big eastern football it started in 1991 so you had the acc the big eight the big 10 the big west the mit the mac the pac 10 the WAC, the southwest Ooh, conference the, the southeastern conference and then you had the independence western athletic conference i, I miss the WAC, man i miss the yeah WAC. me too it's now it's what now it's the basically the mountain west now yes. i mean it's literally the mountain west team it's byu colorado state san diego state wyoming yeah, Hawaii, it's, like the, same, it's the same schools the same schools yeah. It ain't rocket I miss the science Southwest conference. That's it, what it, I miss. It, it ain't rocket science. Said it was SELSU, South Central Louisiana State University. That's what I said. South said. Central. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. It's South Central. Yeah. Muck dogs, baby. Muck yeah. dogs. <laughs> Muck dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, good. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. And that's all projection, but that's just kind of how I've always felt. It's always felt about that one. <laughs> Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.